where's the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. And standing by on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line is the one, the only, the great Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider from The Athletic, who has a great piece up about Tom Stillman, the Blues owner, 10 years in. JR, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, guys. Doing very well. Well, let's start with this. The fortunes of this franchise changed dramatically. And I I believe, and you know because you've researched this, I don't believe the Blues in their first 40 years of existence had close to the success on or off the ice that they've enjoyed under Tom Stillman. I don't think people realize that until Tom Stillman took over, the Blues had never made money, right? They'd never had a year where they made money. Yeah, it's been it's been incredible. It's been a great uh, you know stretch here for the Blues ownership under Tom Stillman and Randy and Michelle. I go back to that day in 2012. I think it was in May. I remember being in the atrium area of uh, what was then Scott Trade Center, now Enterprise Center, and Tom Stillman s- stood up at the podium and he said, "We are going to be the stewards of this franchise." And that was such a contrast from the previous regime. And I realize, you know, Dave Checkets and his group sunk a lot of money into the team and perhaps saved it after, you know, Bill Laurie was going to uh, sell it. But I think it's a situation where there was a lot of I, 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 and we, we, we did this uh, under the Checkets regime. And, and what Tom Stillman and his other 15 investors did is they came in and, you know, they just had a pride about helping um, such a civic asset here in the blues. And, and so I think they've, they've put their money where their mouth is in terms of, uh, helping the organization. Uh, Doug Armstrong's done a great job on, on the hockey side. Chris Zimmerman, uh, Steve Chapman, a great job on the business side. It's all come together, and it's been nothing but success since this group took over in 2012. JR, to say that you're going to be a steward of the organization is one thing. To actually put it into practice is quite another. What do you think the difference is in Tom Stillman's ownership group, and what has allowed them to be so successful? Yeah, Michelle, I just think it's uh, they're genuine. I, I think that, you know, no one, as Tom Stillman said in the article, came in with the idea that, you know, hey, this is going to be a get-rich-quick scheme. That was not the case. They uh, they came in, and there was a lot of fat. You know, there was a lot of things that, that uh, Tom Stillman and his group had to do, make some tough decisions to trim some of that fat and make, as, as Randy said a second ago, make this organization profitable. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is that wasn't necessarily what they were in it for. They were in it to see the smiles on the faces, see the the families come into the building, perhaps, and at the time it was just a pipe dream, win a Stanley Cup, and guess what happened? You win a Stanley Cup, and now people have stories uh, for generations. And so I think because that was their goal, Michelle, that's the answer, because that was their goal and not making a buck, I think everything kind of worked out 
very well because uh, they were genuine in, in what their efforts were. You know what's ironic and interesting, Jr. is that yeah. the Blues spend so much money that that's part of the difficulty in building their roster for next season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think, uh, you know, Tom Stillman did talk about that in this article, and he's talked about it in the past. He actually didn't come in with the idea to spend to the salary cap. They had projections as an ownership group that they were going to be, you know, in that next tier of teams. Uh, but they, they did some projections, you know, they did their homework. Uh, you know, I know there's some conversations with Doug Armstrong and, and they told themselves, look, we can not spend to the cap, but we're probably not going to win. We're probably not going to put a winner on the ice. We're probably not going to put people in the building. And so therefore, Randy, they decided to spend to the cap. I remember those first couple of years, 2012, 13, 14, just absolutely surprised that they were spending to the cap, but they've been continued to do so. And as you mentioned, they're right next to the cap uh, heading into next year. They do have $10 million, but they have a couple players they need to sign. And to think about this ownership group, you know, when they come, came in in 2012, people said, you know, they couldn't afford it. Were they going to be able to put money into it? And here we are talking about spending $80 plus million dollars in 2022, I, I think, is just a testament to what this group thought they can do and what they have done. JR, there's a great piece up at The Athletic that uh, you contributed to that says, what is every NHL team's toughest free agent decision? I think most people assume that David Prawn in the Blues is a slam dunk and that that would be the easiest free agent decision for the Blues to make. But you selected Prawn as the most difficult. Why was that? Yeah, just the toughest. I think when you look at the group that they have, I mean, you're talking about uh, Prawn, you're talking about Nick Letty and Billy Husso. And I think you, you look at Letty, it's a situation where, you know, if if he'll take less to stay, then maybe that's possible. Uh, with Husso, it does look like, uh, you know, he's looking for a bigger ticket. And and what you say about David Prine, it should be an easy, easy decision. I think most people would say that. You know, I just thought it was tough because, look, here we are uh, just a few days out from the start of free agency, and there's no deal done yet. You know, in terms of uh, an update, uh, as of the last couple of days, nothing new to report. Uh, David Prawn probably looking for a three-year deal. The team probably looking at a two-year deal. And, you know, with him being 34 years old, uh, they're just trying to find the right financial ground. Uh, so I think that's still a possibility. I've thought that all along. You know, I think with uh, David Prawn continuing to produce the way he has, it just uh, makes sense for him to, uh, to be re-signed. Uh, but it is a tough decision, I think, from the Blues' perspective. You know, they have some other things that they'd probably like to do. They need to save here and there to make all those things work. And, you know, they need to get David Prawn at the right price. So I think that's probably what makes it a tough decision. JR, another difficult thing for me was, and I don't know that you and I have ever talked about this, I had heard that the Blues were very close on Chikrin at the deadline. Did you hear that? Yeah, just that they were heavily involved. Yeah. Um, you know, when you hear how close or, you know, this close or, you know, it fell apart, uh, you know, that, that those are always tough uh, things to, to comprehend when you're not in the room. But, yeah, they were they were heavily, heavily involved. So my, my question would be, and I don't know that you and I can answer this question today. This is for the Blues to answer. Are they better off giving up assets and having Chikrin for three more years at 4.6 or signing Letty for four years at north of $5 million? Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, you know, I like both defensemen. I really do. Uh, Chikrin, a little bit uh, younger. Um, and I think that contract that he's got, and you just mentioned it, is uh, really a, a team-friendly deal. Now, it might mm-hmm. cost uh, the Blues when that's over. Uh, but, but I like Chikrin. Um, you know, Letty was a good fit. I just think if I had the choice there, I'd probably go with a guy 
uh, who's younger and uh, cost controlled and probably would be a little bit cheaper uh, compared to what Nick Letty is going to get in free agency. And the difference would be obviously that you're going to have to give up something that you don't want to give up to get uh, a piece of property of the value of Jacob Chikrin. Yeah, and I understand in terms of uh, if you're going to make a deal for Jacob Tricken, you're probably going to have to give up an asset like you touched on, whether it be a prospect or a top pick or, or something like that, uh, as opposed to signing Nick Letty in for agency. I just think with uh, with Chickren, and, and I mentioned his age a couple times. Yeah, 24. Uh, I think a, yeah, I think he'd be a great fit, and he'd be a guy who could be here for a long time. And the Blues really don't have that young defenseman in the fold. I mean, you can talk about a Scott Prinovich. You can talk about you know, a Nico Mikula, you know, guys like that. But there isn't that certifiable top four guy in that age group, uh, 24, like Chikrin. JR, you filled in on BK and Ferrario last week, and you spoke to future blue Matthew Kachuk. And uh, we know that coming home and, and playing for the note and playing for a team that could really contend for a Stanley Cup, those are all things that are appealing to somebody like Matthew Kachuk. But you asked him about his relationship with Robert Thomas. How enticing do you think it would be for Matthew Kachuk to play with Robert Thomas? How big of a factor do you, do you think that that relationship and those two playing together could be in him potentially wanting to come to St. Louis? Michelle, I think both of them would love it. You know, I think it's a situation, like Matthew said in the interview, he's played with them before. Heck, they've lived together here in St. Louis. They're best friends. Uh, he said he was going to Chicago that weekend with Brady and, and Robert Thomas. Uh, I think that he would relish it. And you look at Matthew's situation, you know, what helped him to a 100-point season? Well, obviously all the work that he put in uh, to be that player this past year, a second-team All-Star in the NHL, uh, but also, you know, playing on a line with Johnny Gaudreau and, Elias Lindholm, and I think that, uh, you know, having that type of setup guy to help Matthew pump in 42 goals, you know, Robert Thomas could be that guy. I think in St. Louis, uh, we saw Robert Thomas, what he could do last year, 50-plus assists. I mean, on a line with Matthew Kachuk, if, if that developed, I mean, he could be a 70-assist guy. That's how good these two, I think, could play together and have that type of chemistry. So, yeah, you got to be <laughs> a little bit careful when you're talking to Matthew and about the possibility of being a St. Louis Blue. But, yeah, he just, as soon as we said Robert Thomas's name, you could tell he lit up, right? Yeah, no doubt about it. And, Jr. that did not uh, slip past me that you said that he would relish it, which leads me to my next question. Hot dogs or burgers for the fourth? <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. Is both an answer? Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah it is. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, I'm not a relish go, guy. Uh, I never put relish on anything. Do you guys? Only on a Chicago no. dog. No, I'm not a I'm not a relish guy myself. I'm a barbecue sauce guy. Um, just about any kind of barbecue sauce, but got to have some pepper jack cheese on that. So I'll go uh, I'll go hamburger over that uh, hot dog. I'm kind of surprised you too that when you get a hot dog at a sporting event, that putting barbecue sauce on it is not an option. You would think about that. You put barbecue sauce on all sorts of grilled meats. Why Why don't we put barbecue sauce on a hot dog? At home, I do all the time. Do you? JR, what are your thoughts? I, I, I would. I mean, if I'm going to the ballpark and they don't have barbecue sauce, I'm going to be pretty upset. Uh, guys, you look, I'm going to, you guys are going to, you know, go, whoa, but... I put barbecue sauce on everything. There was a time where I didn't like uh, salad dressing. I do now, you know, but uh, there was a time when I ate salad dry. And one day I said, you know what? I like barbecue sauce so much. Why don't I try that on my salad? So (laughs) just dumped dumped a bunch of uh, barbecue sauce on the salad. So I would eat barbecue sauce with my cereal. Have you continued to use that as your salad dressing then? No, it's weird. Uh, as I got older, I was like, well, I'll try this salad dressing. So now I'm kind of a balsamic vinaigrette, so not okay. too much barbecue sauce on the salad these days. Wow. Look at you making the switch. That was innovative, yeah. though, JR. Barbecue sauce on salad. Never heard that before. <laughs> yeah. No, when you uh, 
have to fill the tank like I do. Fill this big tank. You got to come up with a lot of different things. Okay, we we have thirty seconds left, and I'll let Matthew weigh yep. in here. Uh, ketchup on eggs. I'm I, I can't I, I can't abide the idea. Foul. Yeah, I've never not a chance. People. Not a chance. Yeah, disgusting. I, I don't understood that, why that's a thing. Okay, so it's it's a St. Louis thing. I don't, so Ugh. we're zero for four here. Mike Ryder, ketchup on eggs? No. So we're we're 0 for 5. I'm glad we're in good company. Yeah, we are. JR, have a great 4th of July weekend. We always love talking to you. We always love your work at The Athletic, and we'll talk again next week. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend, holiday weekend, you guys. Thanks, brother. That is Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues Insider from The Athletic on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com.